Hello and welcome to the Three Wins Podcast. I'm Russ Clemmer with Legacy Advisory Partners in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. And today we have a special guest, Phil Nico out of Louisiana. Phil has a, a, an interesting background, somebody that's along the way been through great, great leadership development experiences. And he is a, he's a former uh, U.S. Marine, I guess once a Marine, always a Marine. He grew up in uh, Louisiana in a, in a hard working family environment and, and has really kind of crafted his coaching, executive coaching, management consulting business out of the different experiences that he's been carried through, different things that he's been able to learn and grow from. So as you watch today, I want to encourage you to think about a couple of different things. As you, as you, for, for those who have businesses out there, your business owners are high up in the leadership of, of different businesses. I encourage you to think through some of the areas that he's talking about, about humility, really understanding what it is to be a humble leader, not a weak leader, but a humble leader. It's something that is impressed upon me and, and always a challenge, frankly, because our egos and our, our pride gets in the way. We think we are more important than we really are in the grand scheme of things. And then the other thing is learning about yourself in the terms of your public life, your private life, and then your secret life. Phil's got some really interesting things to, to talk about in, in terms of a secret life. Phil puts on forums. He puts on different uh, leadership events. He's a keynote speaker. He's a, like I said, a management consultant, a business and a business owner and executive coach and does a great job. And, and we've enjoyed the, the uh, fruit of a relationship with him at Legacy. But check some of those things out in the links below. You'll see some of those things. And uh, thanks for joining me now. Let's go over to our conversation with Phil Nico. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the Three Wins podcast today. My name is Russ Clemmer, president of Legacy Advisory Partners, and I'm joined today by the great Louisiana boy, Phil Nico, with Legendary Leadership, founder and CEO of Legendary Leadership. And today we're going to uh, hear from Phil on some of his background, some of the things that he's involved in now, the way he helps as a coach, uh, and a speaker to business leaders speaking truth and aff affirmation and edification into business leaders, owners and, and executives across the country, the way the Lord has put it into his heart of the skills and, and, and abilities that he has. And really hearing some, from you know what he's looking at and what he's seeing in the business culture today. What are the things that business leaders are facing? What are the things that they need to be focused on? Some of the challenges that are imminent in our society today. So Phil, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to kind of digging into some of these things. And, and we've had the chance to uh, chat several times and, and our firm uses your coaching skills. And, and we've, we've had the opportunity to hear about some of your events and look forward to joining those. So, you know, for our leaders uh, that are listening today, accent is important. And so I've got a little bit of a South Carolina accent, my, my, you know, family's from there, but you've got a Louisiana accent and it's unmistakable every single time. And you got that French ish last name. So tell us, just give us a brief history of where you come from and what you, what you're about in that uh, Louisiana territory. Well, thank you, Russ. And thank you for having me today. And I want to tell you, first of all, that it, it's been a, a pleasure to meet you and David and Miss Ann, and haven't met your wife, wife yet, David's daughter, but I'm, I'm so looking forward to meeting the whole family. Y'all, no. 
you know, I told some friends of mine that I've, you know, my grandparents all died young and I never got to, to really meet any of my grandparents. I did meet some, but they just died when I was very young. And I never really got a, a real picture of what uh, great, healthy grandparents are and until I met David and Ann. And I just fell in love with them. And I love your family. Love what you guys stand for. I, I like your business model, but I like your heart more. And, and so thank you for having me. Tell me one more time, what was your question? So give, give everybody a little background on who you are and where that accent comes from. And, and we can kind of dig into a couple of details around that. I think that's a good starting point. Sure thing, Russ. Well, you know, I was born in New Orleans East, out in the east part of New Orleans, closer more to the Slidell area. And then my, my father was a New Orleans policeman. And that was the only place that the police we could afford to live. Boy, I tell you, they didn't really pay him much back then. And so my mom was a teacher. And I guess about 1979-ish, 1980, we move over to the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain, which is about 40 miles north of New Orleans across the lake. And I grew up in a little town called Covington, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, my parents, again, look, we had five siblings, five kids in our family, seven people in our family, and lots of love, not a ton of money. We all grew up working our butts off from, from an early age, went to uh, private school as a little kid because my mom was a teacher at that private school but boy we didn't have any money mm -hmm. and I remember telling another podcast that I was interviewed on that what my parents brought home combined I think I pay in health care insurance right now I mean seriously and it's just it's just amazing that they raised us on all, all that and if anybody hears us from Covington they'll remember the Nico boys and the Nico family and how much we ate I mean literally you know, we would eat my, my mother's pantry out of like house and home. And so anyway, it was, it was an interesting time growing up in South Louisiana. So we grew up in there. And then, and then when my parents uh, got divorced, when I was about 13, 14 years old, and when that happened, we split and ended up going out to the country. And I'll tell you a funny story. I didn't tell anybody else yet. You know, that's where I started, you know, doing a little hunting, a little bit of fishing, and then, you know, we started, you know, building forts out in the woods, all that kind of stuff. And I met my first girlfriend. I bummed a dip off of her, some Copenhagen, in the hunting stand. It was a real woman, baby. That's a real South Louisiana woman. Anyway, learned to be a man from that first girlfriend, bummed a dip right off her in the, in the deer stand. Boy. Did, did you get uh, a deer? What's that? Did you get a deer that day? No deer that day. And I'll tell you, I don't think we lasted, but I was like, now this is a woman. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think they still make them like that out there, but that, that's, that's certainly a, a certainly a, a first start, a kind of out the gate move right there. That is interesting. So it, you, your, your daddy, from what I've heard, and it, it, you share other stories, your daddy ended up uh, leaving the police force and starting a, a shrimping business. Is that right? Right. So my dad was uh, instrumental. He was one of the leaders that, that led the, the great police strike of 1979 that canceled Mardi Gras. You know, it's interesting. The only other time in the history of the city of New Orleans where Mardi Gras didn't roll was last year in 2020. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so, and really it was canceled this year too. I mean, it really didn't happen this year either in 2021. But so he ended up being on the uh, front page of the newspaper again. My dad's been passed away, you know, for seven, eight years. So 
Um, okay. It's interesting. So he, he ended up uh, leading that. As a result, he paid a little bit of a price for that. He had to get separated from the police department maybe a year later. And then from there, my, my uncle Roy, who's from New Orleans originally, my grandfather's brother, lived in Mobile, had businesses all in Bayou La Battery, Alabama. And he got my dad in the seafood business. And so as a young, as, as young kids, we grew up really in the seafood business, working our butts off. I mean, I, I told the, that other person that I interviewed with that I learned to drive on a shrimp truck. <laughs> and so, and that's the truth. I mean, my dad had an Isuzu box truck, a big old shrimp refrigerated box truck. And I learned to drive on that. And by the time I was 16 years old, my dad, he gave me a paper map drew up with a pencil the route to Bayou La Battery, Alabama. And at 4.30 in the morning, I was armed with that paper map, a bag of quarters, a bottle of Mountain Dew and some beef jerky. And I was off to Bayou La Battery, Alabama at 16 years old. And I couldn't even imagine putting my 16-year-old daughter or son in a big old refrigerated box truck and saying, go get the shrimp and come on back, boy. But I really felt like a man. I mean, I was like, this is really, like I've graduated. I'm, I'm really a man now. I'm 16 out there doing that. And it was scary. And I used to stop at Time Savers and, and call them on pay phones. You know, Dad, I don't know. This is, I think this highway's closed down. Well, take this route, son. You know, that kind of stuff. And so anyway, I, I grew up working, man. All the Nikos, we worked hard. We were all in uh, sports, but we all worked. And so in the summer times, it wasn't just play. And we did have a fun time playing, but we always were working, making money and, and, and doing things. So that work ethic is a real big thing that my dad instilled in. Yeah, and I was listening to that story somewhere else about the shrimp and, and driving the truck and different things. And matter of fact, I was last week, I grew up down in uh, Hilton Head Island area in South Carolina. And so it's not the bayou or the Gulf by any means. The Atlantic is a different story. But I was out there swinging that net, trying to catch some shrimp and put some shrimp up in the freezer. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, all that hard work and, and, and you know, just the, just the, you know, I don't know, 50 to 75 pounds that we caught, which was a, you know, nice big haul, but you're talking about all day, every day running that truck. That's a lot of shrimp. That's a lot of, oh, that's yeah. a lot of work, you know, and, and it's a big deal. I didn't grow up in the seafood business, but I did grow up in a, in a working family. And my daddy has still has a small landscaping business on Hilton Head. And from the time that I could, I had a shovel in my hand. Oh yeah. We have landscape business is hard work. It is. We have a joke in our family that, you know, you can, you can put just about anything in the back of your truck and it will get stolen other than a shovel. <laughs> nobody's going to steal a shovel because nobody wants to use it. Nobody, right. dumb, nobody dumb enough, but you, you know, you know, a couple of people who say, yeah, I want to go use a shovel for a living, but you know, kind of one of those things, but my dad, same kind of situation. You learn to work and you appreciate things. Oh yeah. And you know, I'll tell you this for me, driving was easy. Remember the drivers had the easy job. They crank uh -huh. on the AC or roll the window down and they look, they're living in heaven for two and a half hours drive. I mean, for us, if we stayed back at the docks, you're working, you, you're working yeah. the coolie, you're putting all the product up. So it was good work. Well, you know, after that, you know, I played sports and I remember this guy came in from the Marine Corps. He was working out with us. And my coach took a look at him and he had USMC on his t-shirt. And he said, look, you ought to go and join the Marine Corps, Philip. And, and, and so I didn't have a vision for my life at all. You know, I wanted to play, I got uh, scholarships to different colleges for football offers. Yeah. 
and for powerlifting. And, and so I said, well, if I score X or higher, I'm going to go play ball in, in college. And if I score X or lower, I'm going to the Marine Corps. And I showed up all, you know, jacked up from the night before and went in there, took the ACT, dumped it, scored really low. And, 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 and I said, well, that's it. And really looking back, Russ, I sabotaged that whole deal. I knew, I knew I, I didn't want to go and, and play ball in college and, and, and sit in, in that, in that pressure, even though I love sports, I just, you know, and I didn't want to go serve my country really like this whole patriotic thing. I just saw myself in, in that persona, if, if that makes sense. I hate to sound so shallow, but I, I saw myself as, a, as, okay, yeah, I'm a Marine. I'll go and do that. You know, and I went in for, you know, they were telling me you could go in here and, and serve in there. And I said, no, just put me in the infantry. And so anyway, I swore in MEPS that, that week, or I think that Friday, I swore in over at MEPS. And, and then the, the recruiter said, you know, I was six foot 225 and my football weight was good shape. You know, but he said, look, you need to be 180. And I was like, what? 180? My bones weigh more than 180. I hadn't seen 180 since the sixth grade, you know? And so they, he, he said, you got to drop some weight. And so he said, you're going to leave in about 90 days. And then he said, no, uh, he called me like a week later and said, look, uh, we got a spot came open. We want you to leave tomorrow. And so I, I, I talked, I told the story before I ended up calling my uncle Bob Ernst. And in fact, I just had an opportunity to visit with him on the phone. I called him two weeks ago and boy, we stayed on the phone for an hour and he just really is a patriotic guy. You know, Bob is a Vietnam War veteran. And he told me, he said, look, you know, we're all just one generation away from losing the freedoms that the previous generation has secured for us. Freedom's just not free. He really, he, he quoted President Reagan and, and he said, uh, every generation has to rise up and pick up the flag and they got to defend it because it just, it could be taken within one generation. And man, I, I just can't tell you how true that is today and how uh, I feel about that. Well, as a young man, I heard that and I was like, boy, this is, this is it. So anyway, the next day, my dad picked me up. We go down to New Orleans International Airport. First time I ever got on an airplane and uh, flew out to San Diego, California. And they picked me up in a bus. And boy, they start barking at you from the day one. Boy, I keep you up all night, shave your head, scream and holler at you, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, then, you know, really from that point on, I, you know, Russ, it really was a line of, of demarcation for me as a man. You know, yeah. I, I know that, Getting my driver's license, getting the freedom to go out there and work and make money was a was a pretty big deal for me, you know, as, as a young man. But at that point, when I left in 1993 and got on that plane, I never really came back the same. I mean, you know, I mean, I ended up not only going all over the world, ended up joining a uh, special operations unit called FAST, Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team. So as an infantry guy, we went straight over to security force schools. Some people did. And then they take the NDOC, get into FAST, and that's where you serve out of Norfolk, Virginia on the East Coast. But shortly after that, I walked into a bank in Norfolk to close out my account. And I met the finest woman I ever saw in my life. Boy, was she hot. And then she started, you know, complaining, why are you going to the Navy Federal Credit Union? You need to keep your business right here and blah, blah, blah. I didn't hear anything she said, Ralph. I was like, this is the finest woman I have ever seen. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll keep everything right here. Me and my buddy Steve will keep all our money, which we ain't had no money, you know, right here in this bank. If you give me your number, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. So 
I was like getting her landline. This was a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Of course, all I had was pay phones at the barracks, you know? So she said, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I need to go ask my manager. She's like this big rule follower, you know? And uh, she goes to the manager, the manager looks over at me and she goes, you need to give him your number. Y'all will make pretty bait. And so anyway, we ended up going um, on a couple of dates and, and, and our unit was on Alpha One Alert and we had uh, 16 Air Force guys got killed in Dahran and they called our unit up and we ended up going to Bahrain for about 90 to uh, 120 days and we would write letters to each other me and this hot girl at the bank. And so uh, when I came back, man, we were married within six months. And that's my wife, Elisa. We celebrate 25 years this coming year. We got five kids. You, boys you, made, 20. you made five pretty babies, huh? We made five pretty babies. That's right. <laughs> so we got two boys and three girls, man, and, and my wife's dog, Rue. So that's a little bit of my background and story. Yeah, and then, But you mentioned, you mentioned not having a vision for your life. And I think you know, you, in your interaction with business leaders and owners in your coaching, that's coaching. That's a big part of what you do, drawing that vision out of people's lives. So I think you, you, you know, based on what you just said, you had a vision, you had an idea of what you were, even though it was, you know, maybe something you didn't articulate at the time, you know, sabotaging the ACT because you saw yourself as a Marine. That's a vision. Mm -hmm. but it, but it's a little bit of, of refining that that you know sometimes it's just experience that people have to go through sometimes it's you know the the fact that they kind of have this but they can't put words to it and they can't tell the story they can't articulate it whatever it is so so just for a second talk a little bit about legendary leadership talk about what you're doing right now and i know there's some backfill we can do on some of the other experience how do you got to that but I think that's one of the biggest things is people not being able to say, be able to say, this is the vision that I have for my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, non-Christian folks who, you know, we, we, you know, you can kind of call it, well, this is what I think I need to accomplish in my life. These are the goals. Christians may say, this is a calling that I think I have. And I think you speak to both, both camps, both groups, you know, just you, you're open to speak, you know, work with any leader. But what, what does that look like? How do you, in your skills with the Marine Corps and the life lessons you've learned and things you've been through, hard work, how do you help coaches with that vision question? That's a great question, Russ. And let me start by saying this, that I guess the how I describe this, the most awful thing I could ever imagine, the worst existence I can imagine is to live somebody else's vision for my life live somebody else's dream for my life. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people that I've met that are extremely talented, extremely gifted and hamstrung by their father's dream for their life. Their father put them in a position where they feel like they, you know, they had to live up to this thing that their dad said, you know, and they may be nothing like their father. And honestly, that was a little bit of my story. I always wanted to be like my dad, but the reality is I was like his father, Emmett, my grandfather. Uh -huh. I was a lot more like my uncle Guido in my nature. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, and so I always lived under this amazing, this big old image and shadow that my dad cast and that got torn down, honestly, after the divorce. So then I started to look at my coaches and idolize them. Well, yeah. some of my coaches and my senior, our head coach, 
was just kind of like unattainable. The dude was just a great, iconic leader, Coach Jack Salter. I mentioned him in my book, Our Secret Life. And so I never could, felt like I could live up to him. And in other ones, they were kind of like hard-nosed butts, you know, just, you know, always bossing you around and all that. And so this particular coach did do that. He, he said, well, you ought to go in the Marine Corps. And because I had no real vision and it was all kind of torn down in my own mind and heart, that one stuck. And so I just went with it. Honestly, that's exactly how it went. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole nature of Legendary and, and the business that we work, which is a management consulting firm, we headquartered in Mandeville, Louisiana, but we serve leaders, founders, CEOs, and executive leaders all over America, is really to help maximize leaders' life, leadership, and legacy. So maximize people's life, leadership, and legacy. We have we have programming for each one of those. We do organizational consulting, which is anything from leadership development to team building to strategic planning to reorging a company, working their compensation plans for the senior managers, the whole nine yards, executive coaching, speaking and training, and events. And so I've always viewed uh, Legendary as a platform to really help leaders maximize their potential. But the average person that I'm working with is doing about 120 million in revenue. And so, and so the, the everyday leader, which is, which is me and a bunch of other people, right? They may not have access to the peak behind the curtain of some of these great people that I get to work with. And I've always viewed Legendary as a, as a platform to make that available. So part of the vision for Legendary in the future is going to be a whole online curriculum, online courses, online information where we can make these success secrets that we're discovering. And look, by the way, these leaders that I'm working with are phenomenal. I mean, what I'm saying is they're extremely transparent, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They put it all out there. They're not like a bunch of you know, this is what I look like in my public life and in my private life. You can't really see it. And I got this weird, I mean, it's a really amazing leaders that just share it all. And, and many of them don't mind sharing some of the lessons that they learned. And so that, that's what I kind of view as, as, as leaders, as legendary serving leaders doing it in that capacity. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you kind of allude to, you know, your time in the Marine Corps and, and, how that shaped you and in, in the the way you you the way you approach problem solving, uh, the way you approach. So, you know, what what was your experience and like and who like in the Marine Corps and who were some of the the people that really were were formative in your experience? Because I understand it's not the it's not the same experience for everybody involved, right? The, the Marine right. Corps is, the, the Marine Corps can be a great thing and was a great thing for you. So what, what made it so? What were some of the things that you took away from that? Well, let me just be clear about this. I mean, you know, I give tremendous credit to the Marine Corps for really some bedrock foundational principles that have led and shaped who I am in my character and as a leader in some integrity and some grit and some push through. Of course, I met my wife because of the Marine Corps and um, so the Marine Corps will always be held in high esteem. And not only that, but I truly am in a fraternity that's one of the finest in, in the world. And of course, all the branches, you know, we honor all the branches of the uh, military. And so, but, but I want to just say this, the military can be a dark place. And I am glad that our nation still holds the military in high honor. Okay, and be clear about that. 
Mm-hmm. But if you serve, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. It can be a dark place. I mean, you're you're literally uh, training. The, the, you look, you wear your dress blues maybe one or two times. You know, see what I'm saying? You're in camis training or or in your in your PT gear, and you're training the entire time. Okay, and you're you're thrown in there with a group of people that you've never met in your life. They're all from different walks of life, from every walk of life. And you're, you're forced to see them as, hey, <clears throat> we're all green, we're all together, you're all the same, you're all equal. And I love that part of it, you know what I'm saying? Because it really does, the, the military is the great neutralizer, okay? But you still have different personalities, immaturity levels, all that. I'm throwing myself in there as well. And so the leadership that I saw in there in large, and of course, I was in an infantry unit that, that operated in a special operations capacity. And so you're, you're constantly in high stress, high tense environments. And so it reveals immaturity. And so we have, you know, I've seen some, some of the worst leadership I've ever seen was in the Marine Corps. And then some of the finest leadership that I've ever seen was in the Marine Corps. And that's the truth. And so I think that one thing I'd like to share about that is I really saw this concept of this dual power structure play out while serving in the Marine Corps. You know, some, some of the people listening, I don't, I don't know exactly who your audience is, but some of the people listening today may be business owners, they may be executive leaders, they may be uh, employees within a, within a company, but all of them have some level of leadership that they're having to participate in. And so in the Marine Corps, we had the, the main power structure was autocratic positional power. In other words, that's power uh, conferred upon someone by their rank and seat of leadership in the in the organization or unit was what we call it. So you got a you know platoon commander, a platoon sergeant, squad leaders, right? And then you have your company commander, company first sergeant, company gunny, battalion commander, battalion first, you know, sergeant major, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And so there is a very clear defined rank structure in the Marine Corps. And in businesses, you can see this as well. You know, there's a clear defined structure. And I know a lot of business owners that I work with, they're real hesitant to place these heavy titles on people because they don't want them to operate in that. I want to tell you this, don't be scared to do it. Just focus on the other power structure that really matters, which is the personal power. So there's position power. This is power that is conferred upon you by the organization or by the owner. And that gives you really a certain amount of rights and privileges to lead people, to manage groups of people. But then there's personal power, and this is what matters. And personal power is not just how friendly you are with your employees. Yeah. I think it's how, you know, one of the one of the great power pillars that Dr. Paul Hersey talks about. He is the founder of the Center for Leadership Studies and for Situational Leadership. Him and Ken, Ken Blanchard developed that model is this this idea of referent power, referent power. It's an old English word. And what it means is it's it's how your employees perceive the way you live. Mm. You know, you have these Friday after hours and and, and half the the employees are getting blitzed because they're working hard, man, and they're, they're kicking it all week long. And on Friday, the company wants to reward them and they just get blitzed, but you don't do that. And as a as a leader, you just you hold to your integrity. You know, you may have a beer or so, you might have sit back and have a good relaxed conversation, but you're not letting yourself participate in something that would cause 
and reflect poorly upon the organization, well, they're going to pick up on this. You treat your spouse in a very honorable way. You, 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 you see your role in, as a father as a, as a way to really exalt your children and, and lift them up and help them to win, right? You're always helping people reach higher levels of success. And so when people see this, they, they respect the way you live, and that's called referent power. That's one of the personal power structures that Dr. Paul, uh, Paul Hersey talks about in gaining personal power with the leader. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that same description. It was anthropology class. And for whatever reason, it was in that class. But what I, what I heard was there's two different types of status. There's ascribed status, and then there's achieved status. And I think that that differentiation applies to this as well. So ascribed status is, you know, I'm born the, I'm born a prince because my dad, you know, I didn't do anything, right? That's a nep- that's a nepotism fear. When people say, yeah, you know, you, you you got that job because of X, Y, and Z. And then, then you have to sit there and say, well, what about achieved status? So achieved status is very clear. I did X, Y, and Z. That was the formula for me to succeed. And I achieved the status of whatever that is. And so sometimes in the, in the military, just like any other place in society, you have a little bit of a mixture of achieved status and ascribed status. Sure. But going back to the, this father relationship, this this role that you can kind of you're in because you had a kid, right? I can be dad and I can say you're going to do it because I told you to, boy. Mm-hmm. Or I can say you're going to do this because this is this is the wisdom behind it, and yeah. and teaching you this lesson is really inconvenient for me, and or however you behave is really inconvenient for me. But I'm going to still walk you through it instead of just put an iron fist down. And you're able to display what I think that's what I'm hearing you say. It, it draws to mind the ascribe versus the achieved status in that in that differentiation between power. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I do. I, and look, just to, to put it real simply to anybody listening, you know, some people might be listening to this while they're working out. Some people might be listening to this while they're driving to work. Right, some right. people could just be, you know cutting the grass, sitting on the tractor, listening to this. And, and I'll tell you this, what I'm, what I'm saying to be crystal clear is this, because, you know, in the Marine Corps, you can have a person that has earned their position and their rank over time by demonstrating competency and skill in, in their craft, okay? And so we have tremendous respect and personal power with that person because we're like, look, they're a good tactician, man. They can shoot the pistol. They're, they're a triple expert uh, pistol. They're, they're a triple expert, you know, rifle marksman, right? They got their, the 300 ace on the PFT. You know, I mean, these, these people are like solid. They're good in, in jungle warfare. They're good in urban warfare. They're good in, in, in maritime tactics, recapture tactics, right? They can, you know, I respect them as, as a tactician. But also, when, when, when the sun goes down in the cool of the day and everybody's sitting next to the hooch, this person will walk the line and come and visit with you. They'll come ask how your family's doing. They'll come talk. They care about you. They love you. They live their life. They hold themselves to a higher standard. And so that is personal power. It, it so far exceeds position power. And so, and I want to tell you, if you're a leader or a business owner today, you really want to strive to understand that Break it down and you can grow in that. And if you grow in that, your influence grows. Therefore, your leadership grows. 
so how do you help with your with legendary how, how are some of the ways that you help someone who you know they may have a, some some skills in that area maybe they don't trust themselves to employ those things maybe that you know for whatever reason people you know are hindered in that in that area of of developing and in, in, in presenting and in, in, in carrying through with that personal power development how do you help them that's a great question so you know it really just depends on the pain point and the life cycle and the season of the leader so let's say that you have a leader that has started their company they, maybe they got a, a junior partner and they just felt like they needed to grab a partner in so they have a running mate and they're running their practice and and they're, they're running their, you know, they have like different practices within the larger firm, but they kind of own the firm and this and the other. And so they keep finding themselves in an aggressive, adrenalized state, okay? And now it's bleeding into the home, it's bleeding into their other relationships and they're like, gosh, that is not me. But the problem is the place where they have themselves in the business is putting them in a scenario where they're having to behave that way constantly, right? Well, they need a breakthrough. Those people need to understand, okay, what is the true vision of the firm? How do we get you out of that situation and utilize the resources around you to where you can rise higher than that, right? So that, that in, in this particular scenario, I'm talking about a person that, that really needed to go get promoted as CEO of the entire firm and run the firm and place somebody as a, as a leader over that practice group because it was just really making them a field lieutenant. They needed to be a general. Yeah. And so that's one, one thought, one scenario. It really depends on the season and the pain point of the leader. But, you know, I think generally speaking, leadership is influence or any attempt to influence. And the most powerful weapon that a, or tool or instrument that a leader can have is a, is a compelling vision. It's the one area that nobody else can really define because nobody else carries the, the risk reward factor. Nobody else yep. is losing their house when everything goes down. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, you know, you know, so if you're if you're a founder or, or, or a CEO with stake in the game, or you're the owner of an organization, nobody else is getting a capital call but you, baby. Yeah. As a result of that, you're really the only one that can communicate clearly where the organization is going and when. You understand timing in your gut, and you understand vision by really by way of in my personal opinion, divine providence. I really believe that God really gives leaders a touch of wisdom to help them if they ask him where to go with this whole thing, right? And so that's just something that I've really tuned up on is helping a leader draw out from them their vision of where they're going, clarify it crystal clear and vividly in all the different areas. And in strategic planning, that leader goes and says, hey, it's my job to tell us where we're going. And she goes and burps out this amazing vision. This is where we're headed, folks. And then she hands me the clipboard and says, but it's your job to help us develop how we're going to get there. And so then we go into strategic planning and everybody weighs in on the how and how they can support that vision. Well, somebody has to help that leader see that vision. Most leaders I know are so caught up in the day-to-day -day operations yes. of the business. Yes. It's hard to see that, particularly during these times. And so they need an outside, neutral, third-party person that has the, the real acumen and, and the skins on the wall and, and the competencies and skills to go and draw that out of them, a compelling picture of a preferable future. And so I do that with leaders all day long. Then from there, we go into strategic planning. Then we go into execution management. 
and we go in uh, and, and help them to really hold, hold the whole senior management team accountable with accomplishing those visions or the producers. And then from there, then you, then you get into all the uh, issues of these leaders because now they're all being held accountable by a common vision and a common strategy that's published. So now what happens is incongruencies, issues, personality issues all start to come out. Okay, well, that's team building, right? And then, and so then we have, and then also, you know, some people hold people accountable, some people don't. And so you'll see these weaknesses. Okay, well, that's, that's going to be, you know, you know, bringing the team in and working with them and, and sharing and releasing information at the right time. And so we work with organizations, that's the whole organizational consult, consulting side of what we do. And then I think that also that can spin off some revelation about maybe these, we don't have the right people uh, in the right seat. Maybe they're the right person for the team, but they're yeah. not in the right seat on the bus. Yeah. And so then we might have to reshuffle the way we're organized. Maybe the vision is causing division. And that's, by, that, by the way, that's not a bad thing. You know, everybody says that vision unites. And I think it could have some uniting elements to it or results to it. But the reality is vision, vision divides. A clear, compelling, vivid vision divides. It divides those who will from those who won't. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. If somebody says, I'm not on board, thank God they're telling you now, not two years down the road, and stalling the whole vision. But is, the key, to, is the key to give the opportunity for people to, to hear the vision, a clear one, Yes, and for them to have the freedom to say, I'm on board or not. That's right. To agree or disagree. And, and, and so how do you handle, you talk about division, which is conflict. How do you walk them through? How do you give the, the I mean, you got to be courageous enough as a business owner, as a business leader to be able to say, well, here's my vision. You know, they've gone through that process with you. And what, I, what I've learned about you, Phil, you're not afraid to say anything. No. Yeah. And that's the value that you bring to the owner's mind. You know, everybody, everybody's, you know, tickling their ear and, and, and brown nosing and everything else. And all of a sudden here comes Phil. Hey, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a jack wagon for thinking that way. Here's what you need to be thinking over here. Why on earth are you doing it? That? So in, in with a lot more tact than that, but the point yeah. is you, you are clear in when, when you challenge and when you affirm, but how do you, how do you teach, how do you give them the courage to present that vision and to hear sometimes that negative feedback and to walk through that conflict, because it happens. That's great. Well, you know, I can tell you crystal clearly, I understand, you know, I had this revelation about 10 years ago where I really understood my role in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, just to be crystal clear, I am not King Arthur. I'm Lance. I'm not King Arthur. I'm Lancelot. I'm not Luke Skywalker. I'm Yoda. I literally was born to protect the king. I mean, even in the Marine Corps, I was a personal protection for an army colonel while we were there in Haiti. And, and then really, I saw that pattern play out all along. You know, I wasn't the team captain, but boy, I was the friend of, you see what I'm saying? I'm the friend of the king, the trusted advisor, friend of the king, there to really protect him. So that we have such a trusting relationship that I'm able to draw that vision out of them with no, no competitive spirit. And also, I helped to to your point, infuse courage into that leader just to kind of communicate the vision. Honestly, once the vision is pretty set and it's got it out of their heart, the leader feels extremely relieved. 
They're like, thank God. It's like they gave birth, you know? Yeah. And then from yeah. there, they communicate it with great confidence. I don't really have a lot of leaders that communicate that with any fear, really. I mean, they just tell them this is how it is. What happens right. is in the minds of, you know, many times this happens with older companies where there's an old guard and a new guard. So the old guard gets a little nervous because I'm like, doggone it. I, I don't, I'm getting too old to have to relearn my position in the new era. And the vision has to do with the new era. So I feel a little bit passed over by it. So I'm either going to stall or I'm going to communicate frustration. Or I'm going to manipulate. And the reality is, is that if the leader sticks with the vision, if they feel like they've really received a divine vision or a real clear picture of where this thing can go and they stick with it, it will ultimately put the team in the right place. And so that does take courage. <laughs> and so what will happen is opposition to the vision will manifest through either verbal or, or just manipulative activity. And over time, every single one of those things need to be confronted. And the more published all of this is, the harder it is for these people to just go and, and just destroy it. Now, they can, they can express opposition to it, but then that just has to be worked out. And for some people, so another thing I've, I've seen, Ross, with leaders is that they're extremely loyal, extremely loyal, like to a fault almost, to mm -hmm. some people that have really been in the trenches and fought with them. Mm -hmm. And so you have to handle these people with great respect and honor and care because the owner has great honor and respect and care for them. And honestly, we'll keep them on the team way longer than he should. They'll promote him way further than he should have because of the great honor of how much that person means to him or her because they fought in those deep trench value, you know, valleys when they thought they were going to lose the business and everything was going to go away. And so, you know, it's not a black and white pattern on how to deal with this. It's flexible with great respect to the one, the author, the one, the authority in, in the room, the, the owner or whoever, or the senior management team or the, the board or whatever your fiduciary team. And so you, you have to have respect for the relationships. And then from there, you know, but you can't compromise on the vision. If you're going somewhere, you've got to go. And the only thing yeah. that could change a vision of where you're headed is, is something that is completely uncontrollable. And then yeah. you would pivot. You would pivot. Out market, outside market forces, different yeah. things that, 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 yeah. And what, what I've noticed and what you kind of think about, it, you know, the people around the table who are not the visionary, they are there because they know they're not the visionary. If they were, they, if they were a visionary, they'd be going over somewhere else and having a vision and, and gathering people to that vision. So they want a vision. Yeah. They want a courageous vision. They want to, they want to know that their skills and experience and, and know-how is going to be maximized. They don't want a weak vision. They don't want a little vision. They don't want to, you know, just a, a little thing that, hey, we, we can go do this. It's a safe bet. You know, we can all kind of check the box that we did it. And we, we've, they want something that's, they have to sink their teeth into and really wrestle with because that's who they are. They're leaders. Yeah. They're leaders. They want to be a part of that. And, and, and you know, sometimes when we work with, we're a financial services organization. And so when we get into this culture conversation, it's left brain, right brain. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, hey, what's your vision? And what does that mean for you with a, as an owner as a, in terms of financial independence, in terms of setting your business up, your corporate win so that it's ready for a long-term or short-term 
ownership transition? And then how do you keep these best people that you have in order that, that are you, you're counting on to fill, fulfill the vision? How do you incent and retain them? All of those are financial service related questions. Mm -hmm. But what we see in all of those, it, when you have people that are coming around that vision, and that's the great work you do to pull that out, you have the collaboration effect on profits. No doubt about it. If you don't have this collaboration around the vision, you just have people trying to, you know, trying to, 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 to you know, give themselves a, a success path within their own, you know, little lane. They're not collaborating. They're not doing it. And, and often their success is at the, at the detriment of somebody else around the table. And all of a sudden you have chaos and nobody knows what's going on. And the profits and everything else are like, well, we hope we're, we're hope we're doing okay. We hope we're doing okay. And, you know, when you're talking with some of these founders, especially, it's kind of like, why else do you have a business? You're supposed to be as profitable as you can. And, and you know, you're in my worldview. We talk about profit in a sense that, hey, it's so, somewhere along the way, what's enough, right? You got to define what's enough. Everything beyond that is for the blessing of everybody around you. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, that's so that's great... really... That's really what you're trying to, that's, that's what we're trying to identify. If you do, if we do our job well, and you're doing your job well, you see this opportunity to grow the blessing of people around, and then it's less about you, and it's more about really what we're all here to do, and that's, that's you know, to love others and to, to shine a light in a dark area, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Russ. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about this great, there's a great pastor out of Australia that wrote a book called Humilitas. And it's a book written on the virtue of humility. It's really powerful. And, you know, he defines humility as uh, power, it, to hold power in the service of others. Let me say that one more time. Humility is defined by this pastor as to hold power in the service of others. And so many times, you know, business owners get themselves in trouble because they can't. And the reality is, is if their mind is on their, on their, on their clients, on their team members, on their employees, yeah, they'll hold that power. That well, I can do this if I want to do this. Mm -hmm. But they'll hold it in the service of others. And so, a vision helps you keep the others focused uh, dashboard. It helps you keep that thing clear and in front of you. You know, it's the reason why I started the legendary leadership experience. You know, the L two X has mm -hmm. been uh, strong for seven years. We've been doing this conference for founders, CEOs, and executive leaders, and many of them to bring their whole senior management teams each year. And I started this seven years ago. We do it at the Ritz-Carlton in New Orleans every year. This year, because of really unreasonable mandates placed on the business community, we had to move it, and we bought the one of the most historic hotels in the South called the Southern Hotel, we bought that for two days. It's in Covington, Louisiana, beautiful, charming town that I grew up in. And, and so anyway, it's going to be a fantastic time. Well, at the conference, we're going to be talking about, we have guest speakers, five different guest speakers that they'll hear on the first evening. And then they'll also hear on the second day, three different breakout sessions. One where I interviewed two lady leaders that are just phenomenal leaders that have been through tremendous adversity and overcome. And then our keynote speaker, Julio Malera, is just an amazing entrepreneur. And he's going to be talking about really what's needed by everyone in the world today. And that is perseverance. 
He's going to backtrack to the very origin of the, of the word, where it all comes from. He's going to talk about, you know, Julio was raised by a Latino mama and he had a Sicilian daddy and the dad left him when he was four years old, their family and, and some of the pain that he went through and how he reconciled that relationship and how the, how dropping the baggage of all that stuff with his father really allowed him to have the margin to persevere. It's going to be a powerful keynote. I can't wait. Of course, I'll do my talk, I'll walk your pack, and I'll guide everybody through the process. But in there, leaders will create their personal professional master plan. This is really a crystal clear vision for every area of your life, for every area of your life. So in there, the like. They'll do some assessments, some relationship assessments, and some assessments of themselves first personally. They'll go through an exercise called the eulogy exercise, where I'll talk about my dad and then a letter that he wrote to his five children to be read at his death. I've read that letter to thousands of people in three different countries, and I do that right before people do their eulogy. And so they'll do that eulogy exercise, and that really gives you a 100-year vision. That gives you a 90 or 100-year vision in the future. And then we backtrack that and we split people's lives up into little bitty components called life accounts. And they get to choose those. We don't. And then from there, we isolate each one and develop a picture of a preferable future in a portion of time. Why that's important and what they're willing to do daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly, and annually to get that. And they do that for each one of their accounts. They leave there with a 27-page blueprint for the life, leadership, and legacy that they want. And from there... When you, uh, this is what I know. If you take something, if you take one of these leaders that's listening in your audience today and they are armed, you take their vision out of the invisible realm and you put it in the visible realm, they're going to get it done. They're going to get it done. And so at the end of the day, once you have this blueprint, you can build a house. Can you imagine trying to build a house without a blueprint? <laughs> I did. They're called forts in the woods. They don't last long. How do you build the life, leadership, and legacy that you want and live with the intentionality that you and David talked about? Yeah. And you've got to have a blueprint. And yeah. so you guys have a framework. And so this is just a blueprint and they create it. Yeah. So you connect with a bunch of like-minded leaders. You'll be refreshed at the great Southern Hotel. And when then is that? Uh, you're, what, it's what December, you yeah, December 14th through the 16th. It's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You can get your business all wrapped up on Monday. Come on out on Tuesday. You don't check in till four. And then we work all day Wednesday. And then at noon on Thursday, you back to the horse, you know, back to your, your life. You can go out there and finish your business. It's right in the middle of the week. It's perfect for business owners, for CEOs, for executive leaders, for leaders, for entrepreneurs. That's, they usually like to get their business started and get it closed out yeah. for the week. Yeah, yeah. So it's right. And it's yeah. in Covington, Louisiana. And um, we'd, we'd love to have anybody. Well, and so everybody listening, look in the, the notes section um, of the, the YouTube video here, and we'll list out the link to that. And I guess right. you, you still have some. Well, we're about half full. We, we, we limit that to a, a small amount because we, have, we don't have the amount of people to run. You know, it takes a lot of attention. You get four hours of alone time to create this unique master plan. And, and some of the CEOs are bringing their spouses the other thing, the Ritz-Carlton is the largest Ritz-Carlton in America, in New Orleans. We're now doing it at the Southern, so there's only 55 rooms. You yeah. see, there's not, there's not 550 rooms. So, so we had to kind of limit this year, 
And, uh, but it kind of works out with the times that we're living in. And honestly, I like that intimate setting better. So we're about half full now and, and filling up. And we'd love to have some people from Atlanta or, or Georgia or you know, wherever you guys are, uh, your audience is listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll list that, that description there. So Phil, let me ask you this question. So you're pouring into, pouring into, pouring into. Who pours into you? How do you get refilled? That's great. Well, you know, one of my great mentors, you know, I talk about this in the book called Our Secret Life. And I know you'll put the uh, link to that. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about that book next. So okay, dig into that because I think that's a phenomenal thing. Well, you know, I'll get right into it and just tell your, your leaders this, your listeners. Essentially, my business was started in one week with two anchor clients and, and the amount of revenue that I had in that first month you know, or that first year rather is it would take people five or 10 years to build that. It was just an amazing thing. I believe it was a God thing. I've told you and David, y'all are, you know, you know, my finances and and I've told you guys all that, but you know, when that started happening, you know, the first thing that I did is I had to create a master service agreement. You know, I didn't have that before I got the contracts. I got the contracts before I even had a brand. (laughs) I didn't even have a system. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just felt like this is a God thing, you know, so, so I create this master service agreement and then I go in there and I, I put a non-disclosure in there. Well, that non-disclosure, I didn't realize how much benefit that would be. But what happened is, and of course I got a, a trusting personality and confidentiality, confidentiality is the bedrock of my business still to this day. But I started meeting with all these leaders, about 60 leaders around. And uh, as I did, I saw that these leaders were extremely generous. They were extremely like, like they were just, the average was 120 million in revenue. They were good to their employees. They had systems, they had processes. They were out there uh, giving in the community. Many times they gave and nobody even knew who it was. They did it in secret. And I was just like, wow, what amazing leaders. Had great respect and admiration for all the leaders that I was uh, working with around America. But what I saw is that they all had a public life this is the life really as a business owner. This is the life, you know, out there in the spotlight. They all had a private life with their the life with their spouse and their kids and their friends and their hobbies. But every single one of them had a secret, every single one of them. And that secret life, many of them, many of them had good secret lives. They had things going on in their secret life, again, that they never told anybody, but it was just amazing. You really wouldn't believe it. I mean, some of these leaders would pay for their kids, uh, for their uh, employees. They would pay for their college education. They'd pay to send them to school. One, one of the guys that I work with, he does about a billion too. He gives a car away to a, a person that stays in school and has a perfect attendance record. And so they run a lottery on that and he gives a car away every year to them. I mean, it's just amazing, Russ. Just extremely generous people. And some of them had some misalignment with their own moral code. And some of them were like off the reservation, man. It was just like, oh man. And and honestly, it produced not one person that was living misaligned with their voice of right and wrong. Not one of them uh, had expressed like joy in that. Every single one of them had great regret. And I mean like, and, and it, it burned them up inside. Nobody wanted to live like that. And look, it's fun to little, be a little playboy, right? Do all that crazy stuff. And then look, there's, I'm sure there's pleasure in it. 
But the reality is that there are consequences to living in constant violation to your own voice of right and wrong, your own moral code. And so yeah. what I thought, Russ, was, hey, man, if it can happen to them, it can happen to me. And I'm over there flying around America, visiting with all these people, connecting. And I'm like, this is scary. And so I wanted to go on a journey. So I went on a four-year journey, hired some Oral Roberts University students as research assistants, and we began to get and select these leaders in every echelon of society, every pillar of society, you know, business, politics, ministry, non-governmental, arts and entertainment, education, the military. And I identified who I want to interview. I wrote up all my interview questions. Back then I used Skype to do the uh, interviews if they were separated geographically. Some of them I'd fly out there or drive to meet. And then some I'd just email and they would email back. And I discovered a pattern. And I make that pattern of success. They all had a high degree, Russ, of exposure, perspective, and accountability in their public, private, and secret life. And they had it primarily in their relationships, the resolutions, and their rhythms. You know, and you ask me, who speaks into my life? Well, when I saw this, these people all had a tremendous amount of input and neutral and output relationships, but the input relationships they had, every single one of them had been to a counselor to understand why they behave or think the way they do. They either actively engaged with one or they had been through deep work themselves. Every single one of them, they all had a spiritual voice in their life. Could have been the selection process. Could have been the people that I selected, but the reality is they all had a pastor or a priest or somebody that spoke into their life, spiritually speaking. They all had a mentor or two, every one of them. All of them talked about luck being a factor, right? These are great high achievers, but, but, but they all had the same thing. They had mentors and they availed themselves. They all had coaches and professional services. They all had, of course, a whole suite of professional services, the attorney, the tax advisor, all these people, the people like you that, that advise on their, on their wealth management. But, but they had these input relationships. And so I have an abundance of those input relationships, probably too much, to be quite honest. And then I have, and then I have, and then I have an EPA advantage team over every element of my life. In other words, every dollar I spend, earn, give, all that is seen by four different people, all in different roles. You know, there's two bookkeepers, a CPA. My, my spouse, just because in Louisiana, baby, we 50-50, you know what I'm saying? And so she sees it all. And so my credit card statements, everything. So I have exposure, perspective, and accountability. Yeah. And I have this in all the different dimensions of my life. And so anyway, I make that whole thing available in the book. You have two parts to the book. One is discovery, one is design. And there's no chapters. There's just little sections for reference. I tell stories that I think your audience would really relate to. And they can get the book at OurSecretLifeBook.com. Okay. Make sure you put book in there. So, you know, just kind of looking at our, at our time, I want to make sure that we, we look at one more thing. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about with, with, you know, any, with any leader, visionary, you know, somebody that's running the company, serving in that role, there's, there's a, a person or a team of people who grow in value, right? They, they, they grow in value in their role through expressing three different focal points. The way yeah. they do their job, they're looking at three things. 
and and walk us through those three things. I think, you know, looking at this, you know, there's a myriad of different things that you need to learn as a leader. And, you know, I feel like I've just kind of, you know, there, there's a, you ever heard that he's from, you know, went to LSU, Pistol Pete. Pete Maravich. Maravich. So he, his daddy's coaching at Clemson and he's got this ball, right? He's got the basketball and he takes a pen and he puts a dot on the basketball and he said, boys, they were screwing around in practice, not running the play well, whatever it is. And he says, boys, this is what we know about the game of basketball. The rest of the basketball is what we still have to learn. And so that's where I feel like, it, you know, I'm just identifying, you know, how small that dot is and the rest that, that there is to learn. And I think that's the encouragement for people listening is that you never, you never get to a place where you don't learn, you don't have more to learn and you don't have more refinement. You don't get to a place where I've, I've, I've kind of made it and I can now be the sage you're always pouring into and you're, which is discipleship, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what discipleship is. And that's what coaching is, you know, coaching is a discipleship function. So what are those three, walk us through those three things and, and for people, leaders to be able to look and say, this is what I need. These are the type of people that I'm looking at and, and hunger, humble and smart, you know, a, a way that some, that Patrick Lencioni describes it, but I really like yours. Walk us through that. Sure, we'll do. I want to first start by saying this, Russ. The thing that you're describing is humility, you know. And, and, and so, so anyway, I just want you to really, you know, a, a, as a listener, somebody that's listening to this podcast right now, really go do a deep dive on that, that topic. You know, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. It's an others-focused lifestyle, and it's so rewarding. It's such a blessing. And now science is kind of, you know, when I say science, let me just say this, the social scientists, you know, Jim Collins talks about humility being one of the great virtues that the good to great leader has. And Patrick Lencioni, Dr. Henry Cloud, all these people are all saying this and they study this. And so I just want to tell you, and, and look, Simon Sinek, he talks about humility all the time. Yeah. Leaders eat last. Yeah. And so great virtues that I saw in, in my entire leadership journey. The conversation you're talking about is one that I had with somebody on my team. And I just said, look, Danny, if you want to always be in the good graces and the favor of, of the owner, and I was talking about this in the context of, of, of myself as the owner. And, and so also, but you could translate leader, okay? You'll think like an owner. He's like, well, I don't know how to think like that, Mr. Phil. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. I said, the first thing is this, there's three, three things that if you focus on and you're thinking about this at night when we're all sleeping and all that, you will always be promoted. You'll always be in good favor. You'll always be, you know, affirmed. I mean, just you're going to continue to rise and grow if you always carry these three things. Number one, value distribution to the customer. If you are constantly thinking about that customer and the value that they're receiving from Legendary, how we can enhance their experience, how we can add more value to them than any money they're ever given to us, then you are going to create ways and methodologies for us to do that. And it will take tremendous burden off the leader because the leader and the owner is always thinking about the customer first, always. Yep. And then the second thing is really it's energy output. 
energy output and leadership weight. I'm gonna do a talk on this at some point and really describe what leadership weight is. But if, if you're an employee of an organization and you can really understand how to limit and mitigate energy output of your leader or the owner of the organization and carry some of the weight that they're carrying within the organization, you're gonna always be promoted. You're gonna always be you know, bonused. You're gonna always, look, there's gonna be so much favor on you for doing that. And then the last is cash management. Cash is the blood of an organization. You show me an organization with no cash in it, I don't care. I don't care how much vision, I don't care how clear the strategy, if they do not have cash, they're dead. They're dead. So you've got to have cash management. How do you increase revenue, increase profitability, decrease expenses, perhaps, you know, cut, sharpen the pencil and collect that money. You've got, and if your employees are thinking about that, the owner's going to love them. They're going to love them because they can't stop that river from flowing in. If that dries up, everything gets squashed. The leader feels completely frustrated all the time because their vision outruns anywhere that anything their cash can do. They're carrying too many things, uh, too many tasks in the organization, and they're not serving their customers well. So if you have a team of people that are constantly thinking like an owner, how do I serve my customers better? How do I carry the weight of my leader? And how do I manage the cash flow and make sure that it's coming in here? Then your leader is going to constantly bonus and, and and bonus you, reward you, and all that. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if your leaders care about that, you know. But but I'm just telling you, it was in my spirit when I was talking to uh, Danny, and he got it, and he's learning. Now you got to go and engage that person. You got to develop them. You have to be able to spend the extra time and tell them the why behind the what. You could never tell your employee that you want to think like an owner and just tell them what to do. They will continue to keep asking you what to do. You've got to tell them why to do it. And if yep. you do that over time, they can get into this owner mindset and they'll think like an owner. And if they think like an owner, then they're gonna add great value to you as a leader yep. and your organization. Owner minded is, just, is a, a big part of what we do. And oftentimes it's getting that vision out of an owner's head. Oftentimes it's, mm -hmm. You know, being able to say, hey, you need to entrust the vision to your leaders. You've got some great leaders or maybe you need to kind of freshen up your your leadership team or, you know, switch them around on different seats on the bus, whatever it is. But when you, when you have an owner that will develop owner mindedness, mm -hmm. then we that's, that's what we that's that's the collaboration effect on profits. You don't have a team just over here doing their their role. Right. They're not just fulfilling the, the, the list of things that they're supposed to be. That's, that's tactical. When you have someone that's thinking owner-minded, they are strategic in working to that vision. And, you know, that's, the, that's the, what you're saying is I'll bonus you and I'll promote you, all these things. That's what we're saying. Hey, let them participate in the success they help the owner create. Yes. And that vision needs to be defined financially to to allow for that participation, allow for that success sharing. Because when you build, you know, 90% of a big pie is better than 100% of a small pie, right? Mm -hmm. And for, for leaders who can get that, owners who can get that mindset and be able to say, and then they turn around, you know, some people are like, well, 
What if they go and they, you know, kind of do, we'll make it good enough where they're not going to go and risk all the things that they have to risk in order to go over there. That's one of the things you said early on in the conversation about, you know, risk and, and reward. And, you know, if you have that ability to, to, to benefit them, you retain them. They know they're going to, they, they know they're going to get a steady diet of challenging vision they know that they're going to be able to be taken care of. They're going to be rewarded for the success they help create. And you're going to be able to have the opportunity, barring these out external forces that nobody in the world can control, you're going to be able to have the opportunity to ride that wave that you create with that undermindedness. And it's such an important thing that we see. And in, in our experience, too few people are really preaching that the value of it. Listen, I, I think that the season that we're in right now, Ross, I mean, they're calling it the silver tsunami. This is the largest transfer of wealth and leadership the world's ever seen at one time. Yeah. Okay? And you would think that that's going to produce a bunch of entrepreneurs to take those spots. I don't know if I agree with that just yet. I have a feeling that we're living in the age of the intrapreneur, intrapreneur, intrapreneur. Go look it up. It's a great concept. Basically, what it just means is that they're entrepreneurial, but they really lack the confidence and, and competence to go out there and risk everything. They'd rather just go, if you have a, a compelling vision, they'll come in your organization and they'll blow that thing up. Yeah. And so here's the key. You got to have a compelling vision. And if you don't have that yet because you've been doing too much of the work and you just bog down with the emotions of, of running a day-to-day -day business... Go hire it. Go get it. Go talk to somebody. Look, you don't even have to hire it. If you know of a friend that can pull that out of you, get a friend to pull it out of you. If you want a professional to do it, go see David and Russ. I mean, like y'all are talking about financial. I'm talking about all the components that feed the financial. But, you know, it's like you got to have that compelling vision because if you have that and you can create an environment where leaders can flourish, you're going to start to recruit, train and retain intrapreneurs. These people are powerful force multipliers for your organization. Let me just say it loud and clear. I'm looking for them right now. If you're an entrepreneur and you <laughs> want to grow legendary, I got a fantastic vision to yeah. impact our space to leaders in the world today. And we want you to come work for us. All right. So if you don't create that vision, I'm taking them on my team, you know? And so I am looking for entrepreneurs to do this. I mean, you know, we hadn't got into the vision for legendary, but I'm just telling you, I got a powerful vision. What I'm lacking, leaders. I don't, I'm not even lacking money. I can go find the money to fund the dream. I'm lacking the leaders. Yeah. And so what happens when, when that happens? I know promotion's coming around the corner. I wanted to end with this. I know that we have a um, limited amount of time. But what really, I think, you know, if you take a look at my book, Our Secret Life, which is a book written to leaders about character. You take a look at what I did uh, prior to that with le legendary leadership experience and just really helping leaders possess clarity, focus, and intentionality in their life, leadership, and legacy, right? It, it really all gets summed up in a word that I was given in 2010. It's Psalm 105.19, okay? And it's so powerful. I love it. It's talking about Joseph, who ended up being the prime minister of Egypt. Prior to that, though, he was not serving in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And I'll read, I'll read it from the uh, Passion Translation. It's okay. got, uh, it's, it's Psalm 105.19. And it says, God's 
promised to Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dreams to come true. The promise of God purges your character. The picture of a preferable future and the gap that that creates between your current reality and what you're seeing, it, it stifles leaders. It can scare them. They're like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Then they develop this strategy. They get on the road, but they're, they're, they're always far reaching, right? Because the, real, the reality is the, the promise purges, the reality refines, but the ultimate goal is the realization which promotes. And that's the realization that any dream given to you by God cannot be accomplished in your own human strength. You've got to bow the knee and, let, and allow God to accomplish it through you. Once Joseph realized that, they called him up. They said that the cupbearer said he can interpret dreams. And the, and the Pharaoh says, well, tell me this dream. He goes, listen, listen, I can't, but the God that I serve can. He passed the test and in one day was promoted to prime minister of Egypt. That, that nation became the wealthiest nation in the world and everyone came to that leadership. What am I saying? Until the time come, came for his dream to come to pass, God tested Joseph's character. The testing, the purging, the vision purges. Get the vision. Then when the gap emerges, realize you can't do it in your own strength. You need God and a team of other people. Go get you some entrepreneurs. Get some help to do this. I hope this is resonating with your listeners because it's the truth. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's so easy to think that, you know, it's my vision. It's my company. And I'm sitting here in, in Colorado at a fellowship of companies for Christ international retreat. And one of their biggest things is, listen, it ain't yours. It all belongs to God. And yes. so when we're, when we're sitting here and, and, you know, we, we, we are a Christian firm and, and legacy is a Christian firm and, and we hold to the truth of the Bible. We don't have all you know, Christian clients, and that's okay. We still provide, you know, great service for them. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's a, it's a, there's a peace. There's a, there's a peace that comes from knowing that we are not responsible for the vision, for, for, for coming up with the vision. You have to ask mm -hmm. for the vision. And, and, and just because a vision seems fun, just because it seems financially uh, rewarding. There's a there's a cash cow of a market opportunity. Just because of all those things, don't necessarily mean that they're right. Right? You have to you have to you have to weigh the value of a vision that's coming to you. And that's one of the problem with visionaries. They have so many different ideas coming through their minds. They have to weigh them against what they know to be true. And that's really the challenge. What is true? In, in that word. You know that, that 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 I just looked it up in the ESV, and it says the word of God tested him, and that word is is what we're called to is to learn and to to grow in, and so out of that is you know some of those visions that I think the you know being a part of of a vision, whether you're casting the vision or helping refine the vision or being a part of implementing the vision, whatever it is. No matter if you're at the, you know, kind of the, the, you know, you're talking about the Ritz Carlton and, and they, they, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, 
no matter if you're the founder of the organization or the people who are sitting there making that experience at an individual hotel a great experience for the, the person staying at the hotel, anytime you're a part of one of those visions, there's a blessing involved with it. And Amen. from our perspective, it doesn't have to be financial. Financial is a very small part of the blessing. Uh, and, and it's a blessing that is, is good and it's important, but that's not always the, the, the main motivator, the, mo the main factor. There's a blessing that you get to be a part of that you can't replicate. You can't go in and in, in create a vision that's you know so dynamic that it impresses people. You know that's not the vision we're talking about. We're talking about an eternal vision is what we're trying to get it. We're, we're starting we're starting a church service here, Phil. I think a little bit, but <laughs> getting getting back to the core of what you do, I think that's important for people to hear that that's your perspective. It doesn't. And there's a there's storytelling. You, you talked about you know being the, the protector of the king. Donald Miller wrote a book called Building a Story Brand. Mm -hmm. He runs a website uh, service company that helps you kind of make sure your story is told really well. And a lot of people have trouble telling a story, and he uses the basic format of a story where there's a hero. And in my role, I'm not the hero. You're not the hero. The client is the hero. Right? That's right. And, but even more than that, the, the client is a part of a bigger story. The client mm -hmm. is a part of a bigger story. And that's really one of the free things to understand that it doesn't revolve around you. Your vision is not the only vision going on in the world. And that it, it, being able to be a part of a blessing is, is such an important thing. That's great. I want to say this, that this is, this really did strike a chord. Years ago, this thought occurred to me, and I spoke it to a couple of leaders that I was working with, and that's this. There's really two types of leaders for us. You know, the first type believes that, and look, by the way, these two types of leaders are great leaders. But that first, and they can accomplish great things. But that first leader believes that the employees, the team members, the customers, the vendors are given to him or her to serve their vision. And that second leader believes that the vision is granted to him or her to serve those employees, to serve those customers, and to serve those vendors. And the reality is, it's just a degree off. But if you get that thing straight in your head, and yep. all you yeah. are is a vessel or a steward of a vision, a picture of a preferable future that can serve people, Remember this, when Joseph came and he forgave his brothers, y'all got to go back and read that story in Genesis about Joseph. The Bible said that it never was about you anyway, Joe. I love you, son. But it was about the 70 people, 70 people and your dad, who I called Jacob and renamed it to Israel. Yep. It was about a whole group of people that I wanted to bring to a green and fertile land. It's about, it's about people, Russ. And, and I think that, look, we're all out there trying to create great outcomes and we're doing all kinds of activities to create those great outcomes, but we can't lose sight that it's about people. <laughs> it really is about people it's setting up an environment where they can win, they can flourish, they can, they, can, they, they can accomplish their own dreams in their life. And if we see it that way, the vision is given us to serve people, not the people to serve our vision, then we'll always steward it in the proper way. Man, that's a powerful thought. It, it, that's that's something that is so many of these things are great in 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 
they're not spoken to enough. And the, the culture in the world today is, is all about you. And it's all about finding your truth. And it's all about, it's all about making sure that, that you, you know, find your purpose and, and, and you're true to yourself. And that's such a, it's such a, it's a, it's a depressing lie because you know, in your heart, we know in our heart that there's something bigger than us out there. Mm-hmm. There's something more important than just us and our experience. And it's a shame to, to have that as the, as such a, a dominant voice in our society and culture. And I appreciate you being the antithesis to that and, and, and loud and strong and brave and courageous and, and being able to influence so many business leaders. And I think business is, is the, the channel through which there's going to be a lot of truth told to people's lives because you, you can't get it in a, in a lot of other areas. And I think, you know, being able to train these leaders up in a way that they are telling that truth and being able to share that truth is an awesome thing. And Phil, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about your event of December. I encourage everybody listening to, to check that out. The link is below to read Your Secret Life. What a phenomenal concept. What a, what a true and phenomenal concept. And that's really what the Bible t- talks about, the, 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 the places that only the Lord knows in our hearts. Those those secret places that only the Lord knows in our hearts. And that's, that's wonderful work. So we look forward to, uh, to future conversations. Anybody listening, have any questions, holler at Phil. We can get contact information for his organization over to you. And, and again, directly, you serve as a coach. You serve as a keynote speaker. You serve as a consultant, management consultant within organizations. Any role that I'm in? No, just that, you know, I'm really excited about the online content coming out. And that's, that's going right. to be coming out toward the end of 22. Awesome. And then the, the most important, this is the thing I'm most excited about, is the vision of these peer advisory groups called Legendary Forums. Okay. They have, just, they have just, you know, produced tremendous outcomes for these leaders. They get together. They can learn more about that. I'll, I'll end up putting that in the show notes, too. They can see the legendary forums. We're going to have them in 50 different high affluent areas all over America. We'll have these legendary leadership centers with peer advisory groups and executive office suites and old world honorable social club memberships. And it'll just be a, a, a great way for leaders uh, to, in a very honorable fashion, collaborate and connect and incubate ideas. And, 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 and of course, the buildings will be royal. And so that's that's the vision for the legendary form. Excited about that. I'll share more about that on that website. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. Phil, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for sharing your heart and your mind and what the Lord's put on on your plate and, and kind of called you to the vision for your life. And uh, look forward to interacting again with you soon and watching to see how things blossom and develop and what you're doing in the lives of the people around you. Thank you, Russ. Thank you guys for having me.